Well, Mike Klaus, welcome to the Career Pathways podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this uh, one thing that we, uh, you know, you you meet Lions students, uh, you know, every year. You know, Jason's a Lions student. I'm teaching a couple marketing classes, and one common theme that we all you know, see is uh, there's a, a cohort of students that just don't want to work in a traditional job. They want to be an entrepreneur. They want to be on their own. And uh, and so I think this is a, a great topic that we'll cover is all things, you know, entrepreneurship with the Lion Entrepreneur in Residence. Is that, uh, yes. is that title still? Yep. And so I think so. Yep. Nothing could be better. Well, to start us out, can you tell us a little about yourself, kind of where you came from, your your kind of work history, everything that led up to you arriving here in booming Batesville? Um, okay, quickly, um, I started off in finance and didn't really um, like finance. I was in, I sold real estate in college, um, and so a finance uh company Merrill Lynch picked me up and I did some investment banking real estate uh, for them. Uh, kind of boring, not really too interesting. Uh, you know, as you get out of college, Patrick, you think you're going to sit around and wear cool suits and oh, drink yeah. scotch. And all I was doing was I was chained to a uh, Lotus one, two, three uh, spreadsheet uh, for 16 hours a day. And uh, that wasn't my thing. So I migrated into technology. <clears throat> I met my wife and we moved to Denver. Um, I got in with MCI in Denver, which at the time you remember, but I'm sure Jason yes. doesn't know what that is, but that's a, a long distance company um, that was helping break up AT&T, break up the monopoly. We had a lot of innovative uh, marketing and we also had one of the first guys of the internet, uh, Vince Cerf, uh, at MCI. He's now at Google. He's an emeritus. And he actually is one of the guys that invented the internet with the National Science Foundation. So I was fortunate enough to be in meetings with him. And we started Marketplace MCI. Uh, subsequently, Patty and I both had opportunities um, in Seattle. We moved to Seattle. I went to work uh, for a company that uh, I ended up uh, co-founding another part of. Uh, we sold that. Um, I went to work for Microsoft and represented the uh, company with the three biggest uh, retailers at the time, Best Buy, uh, CompUSA, and Circuit City, um, with the handheld device market. So Windows CE, that was the Palm Pilot, Microsoft Palm Pilot Alternative. Um, and subsequently in 1998, um, was selling into Amazon, this little bookstore called amazon.com that was in a crappy little did, office. Uh, did anything have to come of that, that business? I, I think, I, I think they're doing okay. And I okay. think there's a couple yeah. parts of it that are fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and got hired away, um, by Amazon. Uh, to run the search engine, um, created the first uh, ontology 
for Amazon, did the first press conference, and then went to uh, Amazon Anywhere, which was the first uh, mobile, the first time where you could buy something either on a web phone or on a Palm 7 or uh, a wireless device um, in 1999, um, and then went on to leave the company in uh, 2001 and uh, started a strategy consultancy uh, at a company called Saltmine. Uh, one of the other guys in the search business and I went and started. And at that point, we were building, you know, back when it was sophisticated to build a website in HTML uh, before JavaScript. And it was, uh, we were building million and a half dollar, million and a half dollar websites for everybody from Columbia to Nordstrom to you name it. Um, and since then, I've been consulting and starting little companies and funding little companies and uh, doing all kinds of stuff. Well, what uh, startups are you involved with right now? You've got your hands in a couple businesses that I'm aware of. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm involved with a, uh, uh, a, a eco-friendly uh, mower company. Uh, I'm involved with a, uh, a glasses business that does um, speakers and intelligent uh, eyewear. Um, and then another one that's in the um, cosmetics business that helps uh, you from losing your hair and regrowing your hair in a cleaner and greener way than, um, you know, Rogaine or one of those other chemical compounds. Yeah. How do, what, what criteria do you, do you use to evaluate uh, whether you want to participate in a startup, because I'm sure, you, you know, you get ideas uh, thrown at you all the time. And, and so what is it that you are looking for to uh, uh, to say, OK, this is a, something worth, in, you know, investing my money or my time, whatever? Um, well, it's a couple things. One thing is um, and I say this in the class when I'm when I'm working with yeah. Angela or the finance class or any of these classes is really, I, I need something that makes me say, wow, first of all, I need something that just makes me go, Hmm, that's very clever. That's smart. Um, and then you go into all the things that a venture capitalist or angel investor would go into. What's the market size? Is there a real need? Are you really solving a problem that people have? How pervasive is that problem? Um, and then, a lot of the a lot of the rest of it is about the person, yeah. Uh, and there's something in in a guy named Astro Teller who is a part of Google X came up with called the singing Mon monkey in the pedestal, Patrick. And the oh. singing the singing monkey in the pedestal is um, figure out the hard stuff first. It is is what it's analogizing. So basically, can we can we create the monkey? Can the monkey sing? First of all, we can create the pet. But are we are we really looking and figuring out how to solve the big problem? And has the person that I'm talking to have they addressed the big problem? And how 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 much have they gone into that? I get a lot of people that come to me all the time with ideas and ideas are great but the quantification and the figuring out of the idea in first order principles is really critical so 
you know, if you come to me with an idea and it's a great idea, um, that may be worth a million dollars, but the execution makes it worth a billion dollars. Right. Yeah. Right. You have to be you have to be able to create something and execute in a cost effective way and then market it in a way that people want it. I kind of got a question for you. Um, this is kind of going off of uh, so, so the things I know about when it comes to entrepreneurs and like startups and like sales pitches and stuff like that. When we talk about stuff like um, Kickstarter in companies like that, where like people will put their company out on onto the uh, uh, like out onto the internet and be like, "Can you give us money in, in exchange? We're going to start making this product and start this whole company." How often do those companies succeed? Like in just from what you've seen, if you could tell us, do you know by any chance like how often those type of companies succeed? Those like little startups on online. If you had to guess, maybe even. Well, statistically, I would say it's very low. It would be under ten percent. But the, the winners are big winners, right? So, um, you know, because, I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of, of, of those little ideas on Kickstarter that are put out there. Um, but I would say, and I mean, they raise billions of dollars. So um, divided out across that whole platform, I don't really have an idea, but I would think that, and, and it also depends on what your criteria for really successful is. If you mean raise a million dollars is successful, or if you mean raise $50 million is really successful. So, um, I mean, there are a lot of successes and I think that that's a great platform. There are other ones out there too, Indiegogo. And, you know, there's a lot of things where you can put your idea up on there and then share um, in the profits or share in, in the idea with other people without, you know, going to a full um, venture capital kind of funding round um but you know it's it's so i don't i don't know to tell you the truth <laughs> yeah I, I just wanted to see if i could pick your brain a little bit on that one yeah yeah you know uh, mike getting back to the you know as far as the pitches and the entrepreneurs uh you're the like a founder or you know or founders you know mm -hmm. what attributes make a great founder because there i'm i'm guessing there's certain things they all have in common. Uh, you know, what are, what would you say those are? Well, I mean, it depends on the kind of company, Patrick, of course, mm -hmm. but if it's a, if it's a more technical company, they have to have some technical acumen. They have to understand, uh, or it's a lot better. Like if I come up with a really technically um, interesting idea, you know, finding somebody to make that technically sound, and coding it and doing all that. So if, if it's a really technical thing, the better off they know about technology and they can create something, the better. If it's, if it's an idea like um, um, consumer packaged goods, let's say, yeah. um, whatever. Um, it, it's really about um, how clever, have you really defined a problem? And do you really have a stick-to-itiveness to see that through and do it? Or do you just want to talk about it? So there's a lot of planners in the world and there's a lot of doers in the world. There are a few that are both, right? So again, to go back to execution, I'm looking for somebody who can be super smart and super clever and figure out how to get stuff done from a practical standpoint. 
So let me give you a quick, quick example. Mm-hmm. So I played a video of a guy named Jesse Itzler, um, who was married to the lady who started Spanx, yeah. who was a great entrepreneur, of course. She's Sarah Blakely. Yeah. 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 Um, brilliant. This kid is, uh, he says he got less than a thousand on his SAT, but he is driven and he is going to get it done. So I look for a lot of that, you know, this kid's got go. This person has a lot of go. So he he was trying to get his first customers. He went to a TED Talk and he couldn't get into the TED Talk. He had no idea. This was back in the 90s. He had no idea the security, right? But he noticed that every two hours they came out and got a muffin and coffee at the coffee shop. Mm -hmm. So the next morning he went and bought all the muffins. And some guy walked in and got a coffee and he goes, they're all out of muffins. It's eight o'clock in the morning. They're all out of muffins. And he goes, oh, I got an extra muffin. He gave him an extra muffin. They started talking. And it turns out that that was his first customer for Marquee Jet. And he he went to Marquee Jet and, uh, well, he went to NetJet's. And wanted to use their 600 planes for Marquee Jet, which in Marquee Jet, if you don't know, is a like a debit card for hours on a private jet. NetJets takes a much bigger contribution of money, you know, over half a million to be able to get on the plane. Marquee Jet came downstream, not 60-year-old executives, but 40-year-old guys that had made some dough, want to fly private but aren't going to put a half a million to 5 million into a, a jet uh, membership. He started this company, sold it for $158 million. Now that's a small example, but those are the kind of things where you have to figure things out on the fly and make it happen. Yeah. You know, one thing I, I always hear about entrepreneurs is the great Excuse me, great storytellers. Is that, do you see that? Absolutely. I mean, you, you, you know, you have to be able to convey something in a very, um, in a way that evokes emotion from somebody to get somebody fired up, to get somebody to really love what you're saying and love what you're doing. Right. Another, uh, another quick story is, a friend of mine started a company and um, was getting customers, big high-end customers, right? Million-dollar customers. Well, he had somebody that when his customers would go on vacation, would be a concierge for them um, and help them figure out everything they needed when they went on on vacation. And I don't mean just like where to go, what to do, but like if they were taking kids, find the best pediatrician in Cabo and have that number set up for them in their phone. If they needed groceries, have a grocery service set up for them to be delivered groceries to their condo, all those kind of things. These are things that if you really get into the details, um, even wealthy people don't have that stuff set up for them. They don't, unless you have a personal assistant, those things are not done for you. Even if you have a lot of dough, but those can save you a tremendous amount of frustration and time. So those are j- just the kind of things. And the way he did that was he would go in and tell a story about 
all the services that they were going to offer, really get you emotionally connected with him. And, you know, he's a billionaire today. Big question. Here at Lyon or any college university that's out there, can you teach entrepreneurship? And then if you, and, or can it be taught? You know, that's maybe the, uh, a different way of asking that question. Sorry, I'm just going to take this yeah, off. Yeah, no um, problem. Can you teach entrepreneurship? I hope so, because that's what I teach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in, that's a great question. In reality, um, I can give you a toolbox right. to uh, develop an idea, find a problem, uh, evaluate the problem, do the market research, uh, build a great product, all that kind of thing. But I can't teach you, like I said before, I can't teach you the hustle. I can't, you know, and there, there are a couple of ways to get lucky in the world, right? What's going to, what's going to define your life, Patrick, your choices and luck. And you can get lucky a couple of ways. You can get lucky um, in hustle, right? Make your, make your own luck. And you can also get luck by associative. So um, I had Elliot come in the other day, uh, Elliot Sampley. Yeah. Yeah. And talk to the class about the new business that he started with the guys from Bad Boy around baseball and Parker and those guys that he, former professional pitcher. Well, Elliot's trying to get associative lucky by um, linking himself to the Bad Boys guys because everything they touch, now they're doing chips. They just started outlaw snacks yeah. and it's taken off. So he's trying to, you know, hook his wagon like we all are to something that's going to make. Uh, a great product and a ton of dough. So um, I can teach you a lot of the, a lot of the skills, the hard skills, uh, just like sales. Can you teach somebody to sell? Well, I can, but yeah. if you, <laughs> you know, in a lot of cases you either have it or you don't, I can teach right. you to be a decent salesman. I can't teach you to be the best salesman. I have a question yeah. for you. Um, so like <laughs> when it comes, when it comes to being like a salesman uh, for, for people who are younger, like let's say my age, like, how would you go about trying to get a sales pitch to somebody like, like we know now, nowadays the, the kind of the consent, like the consensus is like, you know, the attention span is a little lower and, and like, you know, people lose train of thought faster because of technology and stuff like that. So like, yep. how has that, how has sales pitching evolved to younger people? Like uh, you would say nowadays compared to how it was. Well, in the old days, it used to be marketing and sales was repeated enough times and people will eventually buy it. Right. But now you've got word of mouth, you've got social media, you've got all these things that will say if you're pushing a bunch of garbage, that it's garbage. Right. So it's it's you, now you have an echo chamber around these things. Um, now it's much more consultative sale and you don't talk about the actual feature. You talk about the benefit. Right. So I don't talk about that. I'm selling you a knife and that it's sharp and whatever. I show you how sharp it is. I tell you about, you know, you don't need to know that it's forged steel. You don't need to know that it's aluminum handle. You don't need to, a lot of that stuff is just, you know, secondary. What you need to know about is this thing is going to be a great cutting piece. It's used by chefs. Um, you're going to use it for years and years. You can sharpen it easily, et cetera, et cetera. Those are the benefits, right? So in the old days, it was much more of a push, push, push. 
Um, now it is much more consultative and you have to think about with them, what's in it for me, for the customer, what's in it for them, right? What is their perspective? Like what, if I'm going to sell you something, I think about you as a 20 something year old uh, young man, as opposed to thinking about what the benefits of it would be for me, right? Cause I can use it when my family comes home and we can carve a turkey. Well, you can use it when your friends come over and you can slice, you know, onions or you can do whatever and make a, a zeshmon or whatever you want to do. Right. So you have to think about it. And it's also a lot more um, uh, uh, relationship based is the word I'm looking for. You want to build a relationship more than you want to just push it on somebody. So Elliot was saying in that same example that when he goes out and sells these screens for baseball, the first 15 minutes has nothing to do with the screen. The first 15 minutes is how are you? How's your kid? You know, what have you been doing? How's the season look? Do you got a strong team coming in? You make a friend more than you just try to push the product. And then, you know, the big move is at the end. Oh yeah, I forgot. And we have a thing we want to just show you real quick and then we'll get out of your hair. Interesting. You know what? Right. Relationship. My, yeah. my experience as it uh, was when I just kind of, punched my ticket and left corporate and uh, went off on my own. I never saw myself as an entrepreneur. Uh, and, but, you know, one thing is, you know, that I, I had been pretty resilient and could, and, and could rely on, you know, kind of confident in my own abilities. But the thing that I, I found real quick is, are you comfortable signing the front of the check, not the back of the check, but the front of the check? You know, do you see uh, do you see that as well as far as when you start seeing people who go off and now they 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 have this startup idea and everything's great until you you know you start getting tested. Well, yeah, that's a great uh, insight, Patrick. I mean, it's what you're a different person after you make your first payroll for twenty people. Yeah. Right. So you want, when you're signing the front of that check and you you're handed out one hundred thousand dollars worth of checks for the week or whatever or two weeks, you know, that that's a significant thing. And when you've had it's a total another thing when you've had to bring in um, 50,000 of that in order to make the payroll or you're going to have to lay people off or people are not yes. going to be able to feed their family or you're not going to be able to eat or whatever that is. And so, you know, people don't. Young people, I think today, and I hate to make this broad sweeping generalization, but there are a lot of people out there that think that it's all orange slices and trophies um, and that there's no failure. And the first thing I start off the class with every year now is my failure resume. And it lists about 30 companies that have gone wrong, that haven't made me money or that I've broke even or done worse in. And then I've had a couple, four or five you know, that thankfully have, I've done well with, but, you know, failure is, and, and probably my biggest talent overall is to get kicked in the teeth um, and not have it affect my enthusiasm. Right. Yeah. So um, people think that that's an underrated thing, but that's a, you know, and it could be stupidity with me at, or, or <laughs> bullheadedness, Peter, one of those you know, things, but yeah, yeah. Patrick, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. it's, things where I, I you know i don't know it's uh yeah. well it's think... resilience it's grit you know it's uh, that's kind of that 
way to persevere, you know, that, uh, you know, that, you know, that, yeah, that's good. You know, it's cause it's easy at any time to check out. Yeah. Do, do yeah, we, but it's, I, I go got ahead. a question. Um, do you think that like as a society, we should start not, not necessarily pushing, but, but telling people that it's okay to fail and to get back up rather than to, because a lot of people nowadays, you know, when they try something, it doesn't work and they just give up. Like, like I can think of a few people in my family who have tried to go like the route of actually more than a few people. A lot of my people, in my family decided I'm not going to go to college. I'm going to just try to start up a company and do this. And now they're working, mm-hmm. you know, at McDonald's or one of them's working in construction. You know, that doesn't work. Do we think like, or do you think as a society, we should push like, you know, when you fail, it's okay to fail because everybody's going to fail. Or do you think we should sort of like, how would you rebrand like it? Okay. Being to fail. That's, it's a good way to put it. Rebranding failure. Um, well, I mean, we don't embrace failure in this company, in this country, because, um, you know, we're winners and the U S is a winner and we need to have winners and it's sports oriented and those kind of things. Uh, but it is a fact of life. So we tolerate failure in the United States. We, we tolerate those that fail and we say, Hey, you know, he did what he wanted to do. He gave it a try and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and as a, somebody who funds companies, you know, the failure rate is 80%. So I'm looking for a, a 20 to 50 X on a company, uh, or more, um, on one out of 20 to 30 companies. And that gets me right with the other 10 plus that fail. Right. So it depends on, on, you know, um, on how you fail and why um, risk is a really funny thing, Jace. I mean, you know, you also can't get biased in the sense that, you know, I failed. So I made the wrong decision. We get biased in that, right? You might've made all the right decisions and still failed, right? You may, might've made all the wrong decisions and succeeded. So you can't be biased in that respect. And we get, you know, Life is not like chess. Life, life is like poker, right? Because you don't know the next card that's going to get turned over, right? It can be an ace. It can be a deuce, right? You can fill a straight or you can get junk. So, it, you know, life is just like that. And we also have imperfect information. So if the guy next door has the same idea as you, and this is oversimplifying, but you're here in Batesville, the, there's a guy in... Menlo Park and California have the same ideas. It, it's also who you get in front of, who you know, how much money you are you underfunded? Did you take too much dough? Did you impart the wrong marketing strategy? Um, did you do distribution as opposed to go direct? There are so many variables um, in these things. And, you know, as I said, I've made all the wrong decisions and I've made a few good ones, right? And I teach decision theory. So it's like, you know, you, who knows, who knows, man, but should we rebrand failure? Uh, My direct answer is yes. We should be more tolerant of people failing. Yeah. Uh, Mike, a question on, uh, can entrepreneurship exist in corporations? You know that, you know, my, my time in corporate, you know, they, want everybody to be entrepreneurial but you know it's like can you really be 
you know, operate truly as one if you're in kind of an, a, a, an established organization setting? I mean, what are your thoughts? Well, there are a lot of organizations that, that um, depending on how, how they're set up, Patrick, as yeah. you know, you have to be very um, entrepreneurial in some senses. I mean, um, my wife is a perfect example as a recruiter, as an executive recruiter. If she wasn't entrepreneurial and wasn't clever and figured things out, she never would have made it. She's been at uh, her company's 20 plus years. And the reason is, is because she's okay working independently. There are some people, and this is an even bigger problem now that we're so spread out and we're working from home in different locations and, and et cetera, that don't have the discipline. I wasn't very disciplined until I was about 35 and I had kids and I had bills to pay and those kind of things. I was, I could make my sales quota because I was a pretty good sales guy in the first 10 days, right, of a 21-day cycle. And I would just play golf and hang out. And, you know, I'd make my commissions and I'd make my salary and I'd go on with life. Um, but if you're not in a sales position and you're really trying to drive a project and you don't have that discipline, um, it's very difficult. You know, it's, it's, it's hard for some people. You know, in uh, startup cultures, uh, you always have that thing about the, you know, the, here, here's two guys in a garage and then the idea clicks and they get some, you know, beat up flat somewhere in the city. And, and then the, you know, here's like, now they got six, seven people and they're all on lawn chairs and laptops and, and uh, then the thing just keeps uh, growing from there. Uh, if you look at today, it seems that a lot of startups are more virtual. And and uh, can you really achieve that same kind of magic and or whatever that secret sauce is for a, to, for a successful startup as a virtual company? I, I don't know. Um, I would love to see some that that are. Yeah. Um, I think there's nothing like standing in front of a whiteboard with yep. a couple of guys that you started the company with and figuring stuff out. You just, it's very, it, it's a lot harder to do that um, remotely. But the time that we really make a lot of progress and when we set down strategy and we talk about, you know, things that are um, fundamental to the company, I like to be in person. I also like to get in, in you know, but I'm in my 50s. Um, I'm an older guy. I like to get an in-person feel for for somebody as well, right? There's nothing like standing next to somebody and, you know, uh, grabbing a coffee with them or getting a beer with them or, you know, that's how you really get to know people. And again, it's very much about relationships. Yeah. When you look at, you know, the, you know, uh, the, the rebranded fail, you know, failing, but uh, as far as failure, what? Why do startups typically fail? I mean, or is there a, or, or are there several reasons that you've seen in terms of why it just doesn't work? Um, well, <clears throat> to go back to the beginning, you know, are, are you solving a problem in a way that is significantly better than what's being done now? Mm -hmm. And what a lot of entrepreneurs don't understand is that you may not have a direct competitor. You may not you know, um, uh, you know, your alternative to the toothbrush, uh, may be great. Um, but is it 10 times better 
toothbrush, right? I mean, is is um, is the alternative that you've created so much significantly better that you know electronic toothbrushes? Let's just go with that, right? Sonicare used to be somebody that I worked with in Seattle back when they started, right? Um, not only is it an electric toothbrush, it's Sonic, right? So they had all the thing about you know it's so much better and you know, we're using sonic technology and et cetera, et cetera, still didn't pierce 20% of the market, right? Why? Well, then you go on to pricing. A toothbrush is $3, a fancy toothbrush is $10, and a sonic hair is $50, right? So uh, right there, you've got a uh, an affluency factor of not everybody can afford a $50 toothbrush. And if they can, not everybody's going to spend their $50 on a Sonic, on a Sonicare, on a toothbrush, right? So uh, there's a lot of reasons. There's faulty pricing, Patrick. There is, um, you know, marketing that, that doesn't really work. Um, it's missed demographics. You know, you're trying to sell it to somebody that, uh, you know, to, to go back to the NetJet example, right? right? You could try to sell a, $750,000 um, jet package to somebody that may have $750,000, may have $2 million, but that's not how they're going to spend their money. So again, it's all about value. Is the value that you're presenting overwhelming enough? Um, now, even if you have them fly net jets once and they think it's fantastic, when they come home and they have to write the check for seven fifty. dollars yeah. Yeah. Right. That makes it a different that makes it a different thing. So, you know, we could go on and on about value uh, and, and real value forever. But, you know, what is the value proposition and how is it better than the alternative? How do we get a startup uh, culture uh, nurtured and developed here at Lyon College? Well, we're trying. I mean, yeah. we've got starting yeah. as you know, we're we're trying. Um, I I really think that it needs more emphasis. Um, I think the class is a great place to start. I think if a lot of the kids that aren't in business um, or that are in business have more um, exposure, I think the product thing that you're talking about is uh, the gateway to entrepreneurship. Yeah because you have to have a, uh, a good product mind. You have to un understand about product requirements and, and, you know, now they call it MVP and all these different things. You have to understand the product in order to understand really um, how to drive an, uh, something in a market. Right. And it teaches you all aspects of that. So I think that that class is the, uh, is really the gateway um, to the entrepreneur class. And I think that that'll be a tremendous help. And then of course you have to get known for having a great program and bring people in for that program. We're, you know, we're going to spend money on the center and we're going to spend money in different ways to, um, to, to make it bigger. Um, but then you're going to have to attract, attract more people. Can you speak more about the center? Cause is that the, uh, that's part of the grant that uh, that the school has received. Yeah, that's um, part of what I think Perry Wilson and those guys are putting mm -hmm. together, um, right. putting putting hundreds of thousands in, and um, 
eventually over a million dollars, I think. And, you know, it's about innovation. It's about um, uh, teaching people the craft of um, how to start a business, how to run a business, how to maintain a business, um, and how to grow and scale, right? And that's a completely other thing than if you're going to be an entrepreneur and start a small business. A startup is different than a small business, as you know, right? So a small business is something that we want to create and be successful in a one-off. Um, and if it happens to go bigger, then it then it goes bigger, right? I think, you know, Bad Boy started as we want to make mowers for our friends and uh, et cetera. And then it just caught on. And, you know, again, who thought that a $10,000 mower that goes 15 miles an hour would be a thing? But it's a thing. But, you know, I always go back to a lot of other examples like Yeti. Who thought yeah. that a $500 cooler for your beer was necessary? Right? Absolutely necessary. <laughs> but <laughs> Exactly. But they figured out how to make it cool, how right. to get young people, right? How to see them. Same with Beats, right? Beats headphones. Give Beats headphones to every professional athlete that you can find. And every time we see somebody warming up, warming up they're wearing Beats. And now all of a sudden, you know, uh, that mimetic uh, thing, um, you know, and because we're so visual and so social now, you and I've talked about this before, yeah. uh, Patrick, in terms of mimesis and, um, you know, the 10th the commandment, thou shalt not covet. Well, yeah. marketing is all about coveting yeah. and getting people to covet. Right. So um, that's really what marketing is about. You've got one. I want one. Right. I saw it on this cool guy. I want one. Right. That's just part of it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. What uh, is there anything that you see that's like unique or different out in Silicon Valley, Seattle, some of these legendary, you know, you know, tech hubs uh, that that can't be imported and brought here to Arkansas? Or, is it, or, is, or do we have all the ingredients right now to make it happen? No, I mean, we've got to get more people that fund these businesses that are, yeah. that are, yeah. that are funding sources. I mean, if you're, a, if you're a country singer, you go to Nashville. Why? Because yep. that's where they find country singers. If you're a technology guy, you go to the Valley or you go to Seattle because that's where they find those guys. Um, and that's just part of it. Now, you know. Memphis has tried this with Emerge Memphis. I know Brian Eagle over there, and um, they've done a good job of this with FedEx um, helping fund it. So part of it is, you know, are we going to be able to get more dough? Um, unfortunately, it's a lot about the money. It's a lot about if the if the money is there, they will come. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's yeah because I think that's you know, and what I've seen that most. You know, like a, if you like startup uh, cultures, uh, they tend to all happen around like colleges and universities. You know, so, you know, we kind of mentioned, you know, as far as Silicon Valley, you know, there you got Stanford, you know, you got Washington. Can't forget Boston, you know, with all the, you know, the MIT and everything feeding, feeding there. And I and so, you know, that is another one. Yes, yes, yeah, and and the list goes on. So you know mm -hmm. that's kind of where I'm. Uh, you know, I could see that it could, 
you know, obviously Lyon College, but there's uh, several other universities nearby that could all, you know, provide feeders as well. Well, there's a great entrepreneurial, um, you know, history in the South, everything from yeah. Holiday Inn to, you know, Hilton to Bad Boy to, I mean, there are, there are hundreds of companies that have been started down here um, that still, that still thrive today. Um, so there are people, it's just bringing them out, getting, you know, I try to bring a lot of people into the class, both locally and uh, nationally, uh, CEOs to talk to the class and to kind of expand their horizons. And that's what's going to be necessary too, is when I say that, you know, the, um, the ex-CEO of, of Nike Asia is going to talk next week, you know, the kids get really excited. They're like, wow, cool, you know, or uh, Virgin, you know, one of my yep. buddies, the ex-CEO of Virgin, you know, these kind of companies bring something up in people that they go, wow, this, you know, this is different. This guy knows something. This, this guy's got to know something, right? I want to hear some stories. I want to hear some lore about, you know, Branson, um, or Phil Knight, all those kind of things, right? And so, um, and and those are those are the cool things. And I think young people then understand that I'm not different. I'm not, you know, any different intellectually or anything than anybody else. It's just, I'm going to figure it out. And I have that go. I have that or had it. I don't know if I have it as much anymore, but I, I had, <laughs> that. I mean, you weren't going to tell me that I wasn't going to be able to do it. Or if you were going to tell me that was even more incentive for me to do it. Well, it is like uh, startups, a young person, still a young person's game. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. From an enter, I mean, from an energy standpoint, it doesn't have to be a young person, but you got to have a lot of energy. Lot of energy. Yeah. As I tell people all the time, it's a, you know, you only have to work half a day and it's just which 12 hours. Right. <laughs> so um, if that and 12 hours is a right, short day, right. you know, but um, yeah, it's a it's just a part time thing. Well, real good. Well, Jason, do you have any uh, any other questions? Um, well, the last question I would want to ask is um, for somebody, if you had to give advice to somebody who's wanting to go this route, what is the one piece of advice like that they could take away from the entire thing? What's one piece of advice you would give somebody who's just starting out in this type of business? Um, well, the one that's the same thing that I tell my class is lower your barriers of feeling like um, you're going to get embarrassed and put it out there. Um, try a lot of things, go talk to a lot of people, ask for informational interviews. There is no, if you think um, that there is a risk that's too high for you to either start something or talk to somebody because you're going to be embarrassed or whatever, forget that. And you need to get over that apprehension because if I were, if I were 22 today, I would be writing letters to everybody and saying, hey, can I talk to you? Hey, can I have an informational interview? And then I would have great questions. I would know about the company that I'm going into. And I would just just say, hey, man, I really love your company. Can I come work here when I'm done? Or, hey, I'm starting this company. Do you know anybody that wants to give, you know, that's that's funding companies or whatever? There, the, the risk is so low besides your pride that I... I did some of that when I was younger, but I would be doing that with everybody. And I tell my class that all the time is 
listen, forget about the embarrassment. Forget about being cool. The cool thing is doing what you want to do, whether it be with a company that you choose or starting a company or whatever. You have to put your pride aside. And if you're not willing to do that, you know, I don't know what to tell you. You just, there's no risk. The risk reward, the reward so outweighs the risk in those terms that you have, you have to do it in my mind. Awesome. Well, there could be no more perfect way to end this, this uh, interview with those words. Thank you so much, Mike Klaus. And you bet. Thanks, thank Patrick. everybody for the listening to another episode of the Career Pathways podcast. Producer Jason, where can you find the Career Pathways podcast? You can find the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We have it on 99.97% of platforms, almost as much as how much bacteria gets killed by hand sanitizer. So, yeah. So, that, that, if that, just keep that in mind, ladies and gentlemen. And so, we'll see you uh, next week for another episode of Career Pathways Podcast. Thanks for, uh, thanks for listening in. This broadcast is sponsored in part by Lion College and also sponsored in part by Kilt Radio.